Death by DVD. The one you take to bed with you. This is Death by DVD, where we all eat plastic. I am your host, Harry Scott Sullivan, and on this episode, we've got a full house. With me, the Linus Fitness Center, Mr. James Ellis of Weeping Tutor Productions, and we have a very special guest joining us, who I will now let the Linus Fitness Center introduce. Introduce. <laughs> introduce. <laughs> Thank- <laughs> Thanks for the introduction, moustache. Um, yeah, I guess we're keeping that in the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah tonight we're uh, joined by um, podcaster and uh, blogger extraordinaire EF Contentment. How you doing, EF? I'm anxious and awkward, uh, fear and excitement all mixed up into one, and slightly mm-hmm. toasted. But happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, that's the ideal way to be on Death by DVD. We have a, a segment we like to call inebriation dedication, which is a coverall for when we all get too drunk while recording <laughs> episodes. So it works. It's perfect. The audience loves it. All three of them out there listening. Thank you, guys. I, do, I don't love editing it. Like having having, <laughs> yeah. ha, ha, having to, like like the, the finished result is a sentence like this is a sentence, but uh, w- what you start out with is like eh, this <laughs> is, uh, uh, and that lasts about half an hour, and then you get about a few seconds out of it. And sound effects, sound effects, sound effects. Yeah, I just can't get over the um the the squelching noises in cruising. That was such a <laughs> such a chef's kiss uh, for the fisting. Uh. <laughs> I really, really like to try. I, it's an art for me. Uh, speaking of fisting, that might be, I guess, a, a great way to get into the episode. There's not a lot. There, uh, there's not a lot. Unfortunately, there's no fisting at all that we're going to talk about. But there's a lot of weird body horror stuff, which is a term I fucking hate and I think is almost redundant. But we're doing a Cronenberg versus Cronenberg fight to the death, or we're just going to talk about two movies by. Two people named Cronenberg. We've got Infinity Pool 2023, Brandon Cronenberg, and we've got David Cronenberg, Papa Cronenberg, Daddy Cronenberg, if I may. His 2022, I'm going to call it a masterpiece. I think it's great. Best movie of 2022, Crimes of the Future. Best movie I didn't see in 2022, and I saw it the other week, certainly. Yeah. I saw it at the very end of the year. I was happy to, to tuck it in. That and the uh, the Donkey movie with Colin Farrell. Those were the best. Great films. Yeah, I saw that one early this year, too. And I'm, I'm gutted I didn't see it last year, because, again, would have been another one of the top of the uh, 2022 pops. Um, EF, I know from your comments on Trick or Treat Radio uh, that Crimes of the Future was... Uh, was it your favorite movie of last year? Yes. Yeah, it was. It was my favorite movie. I watched it uh, three times last year. And um, I mean, a part of it is that I just, I'm a sucker for David Cronenberg in general. I've at the very least liked his movies, you know, but uh, more or less it's, I love them. And this one just, yeah, I, I, I watched it three times. I, and then I watched it a fourth for, for this show. And um, 
yeah, it just, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'll just answer that question. I don't know how much you want me to talk about right now. Otherwise, I'll go on for about an hour. As much as you like, man. No, no, no. It's just what it rewards repeat viewings. That's what I found, too. And uh, and uh, all his films really do reward it. And um, that's something that perhaps maybe his son doesn't uh, his his film doesn't really uh, have that effect. But uh, that's a we'll we'll get into that later. But I think it's just fascinating to well, like all his films, it's fascinating, especially the multiple interpretations you can get out of it. It really is a, a movie for the people because <laughs> pretty much anybody who is willing to, you know, be open enough to watch something like this can, if they try, get something out of it. Uh, I, I did read a review recently when I was posting a, on Letterboxd that I watched this again. And it was one of those dismissive, like, what the fuck did I just watch? And it's like, okay, I mean, that's that's valid too, you know, but it's almost like, I don't know, I almost feel like I want to talk to this person and be like, no, 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 like, Think of this, at least, uh, one of these many interpretations and watch it with that and see what you get out of it. You know, maybe you get a little bit more, but I get it. You know, Cronenberg pushes some buttons, few visuals in there that maybe people don't want to see certain uh, situations that people get uncomfortable with. You know. Yeah, I, th- I think um, crimes like all of Cronenberg's movies, especially all the body horror movies, at least, at the very least, it, you can enjoy it on a fucking hell look at that kind of level but like if you want if you want to like get into it a bit more there's like so so many ways you can go yeah i recall when the the film initially was released i had read an article about people walking out at cans and and other film festivals and when i was rewatching it last night before we we are doing what we're doing now i or credits are rolling first five minutes and it's like why why did people have such a problem with this movie and then immediately a fucking child gets <laughs> smothered and it's like oh yeah there mm. oh there we go classic Cronenberg but it's um I, I don't know I felt when I I first saw this movie I was overwhelmed almost that I had like found my favorite jacket that I lost years ago and it's it's perfect and there's a pack of cigarettes in the pocket everything fits wonderfully mm. and that you move from something like uh, Videodrome to Existence and then Crimes of the Future, you have this this beautiful trilogy that is it's it's haunting to really watch them in that order because of what society is now and how the world is now that David Cronenberg has almost Nostradamus style fucking predicted this demented weird obsession with, with these fictional realities of social media and things like Instagram and everyone's going to have their own TV name at some point and you get to the end of that with Crimes of the Future and you look into the future it's so gritty and nasty and dirty there's no cleanliness, no one feels pain anymore, everyone is addicted to some new form of pseudo-sex to get on with repressing I guess their own emotions and feelings it's 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 like EF has brought up there's so much and uh, every time I've I've seen it twice now and I'm, I really want to watch it again after we finish this just to go over I'm sure what we're going to uncover and talk about but to, to fascinate on it and that that is a remark on Cronenberg and his entire catalog of filmography that you can watch one film and immediately begin it again and it goes almost with everything that you are encaptured in this universe and each and every one of his films seems to be this expansive universe, and we only see so much of it on screen, but it's just unfathomable how, how the depths he can present to us on screen really are. I had a um, sort of like a knee-jerk reaction uh, watching it. It reminded me of sort of being a teenager. Um, we had a 
a channel on satellite TV, uh, Film 4 Extreme. Linus, I don't know if you remember uh, that channel. It's, I think, it £6 a month when you got Film 4 oh, as well. Oh, yeah. It, it eventually became free, didn't it? Yeah. It did. It did. And, um, yeah, it brought back a lot of vivid memories just sort of um, on the old Bang & Olsen, <laughs> the old Bang & Olsen TV, uh, recording with VHS and watching Crash, Dead Ringers, The Fly. And it caught a, that was my introduction to um old davy and um yeah it, it just kind of i haven't other than watching videodrome in the cinema probably almost 10 years ago which i fucking adored which i really really got into i haven't really seen a lot of cronenberg since and it just brought me back to that very strange nostalgia of you know making sure no one was in the house so i could <laughs> i could watch these films <laughs> but no one's in the house okay get the get the bag and olsen ready get the vhs on you get, know? get the box of tissues ready <laughs> <laughs> four <laughs> this one's not that bad i mean you you could watch it with your mom there's there's only like gut sucking i mean there's i mean i don't know what to call it there's some filleting but i can feel you pulling things around in there <clears throat> It's a brand new organ, never before seen. We've all felt that the body was empty. Empty of meaning. And we've wanted to confirm that, so that we could fill it with meaning. The world is a much more dangerous place now that pain has all but disappeared. to map the chaos inside. Let us create a map that will guide us into the heart of darkness. Should we do a quick, uh, I mean, this is a kind of cheesy thing to do, but should we do a quick... Uh, I don't know, top three Cronenbergs, everybody. Yeah. In no particular order, just off the top of my head, I would say um, The Brood, um, Videodrome, and this is where it's going to get tough because it's the third one now. I got to pick from all these other films he made. I'm going to go Eastern Promises because I think that's also like how I would introduce Cronenberg to someone maybe where I go like, look, this is you know, this is uh, the brood. Yeah, but it's also like the brood is. When you get down to it, I get it. Like I, I still remember Leonard Maltin's review of the brood, which was literally just him saying, "Going, yeah." <laughs> it was like that. It was like one and a half a star, like the lowest rating. And again, like Cronenberg's work gets that effect, and I understand. I can't argue someone who gets that. You know, but that to me is his most intensely personal work, and yeah. It's his possession. Yeah, absolutely. It's his possession. It's his Kramer versus Kramer. 
And there's that. And then Videodrome is just like, well, this is him. This is what like the general public goes like, this guy's a weirdo. You know, what I mean? it's like, look at this crazy body horror stuff. You know, there you go. And then Eastern Promises is me going, but you know what? He's not just all shock. He is a legitimately great filmmaker. Watch this crime drama that I will put up right up there with like Scorsese's best. But yeah, off the top of my head, those would be the three. Ask me tomorrow. I'll give you another three. <laughs> Plus, you get to see Viggo Mortensen's balls. Hell yeah, I'm all for that. <laughs> you know, and Green Book. If it had, uh, if it, I was like, I really, I actually liked Green Book. But if you showed the balls, I would have been like, <laughs> of course it would win over uh, Black Klansman. I didn't see any testicles in Black Klansman. I just left depressed. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, I did too. Uh, that, end, that end scene, jeez. Oh, yeah. That's where it hits you. That's where it hits you is that ending. You know, it's just like, oh, my God. It's like, yeah, did you enjoy the movie? Oh, well, fuck you. I liked it. <laughs> I know. I liked it too. I mean, it, it's like, you know, like enjoying your, uh, you know, your escapist bit of of uh, a drama. Uh, like, well, here's some reality to depress the fuck out of you. <laughs> We're all for that here at Death by DVD. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Uh... Eastern Promise is a, a great film. And a further segue into that, EF, have you ever seen or heard of the book, uh, I believe it's just called The Brood by Stephen Bissett. It's about a thousand pages. Uh, it's, a, it's a massive, massive tome uh, by the, uh, he's one of the creators of Swamp Thing, one of the lead artists of Swamp Thing, long-time DC comics artist, and he worked for the uh, Deep Red magazine, Chaz Ballon's Deep Red beautiful book i've got a copy of it uh, you you would certainly enjoy it it is it's fucking longer than the bible all about the Ooh, uh what's the name of the author i'm actually writing it down right now it's funny steven beset no i never heard of it but i'm definitely going to check it out yeah it's it's a massive massive book uh, also for our audience check that out steven was on the show years and years ago one year after the death of Chaz ballon we did a, a commemorative show commemorating the life of Chance Ballon. Top three Cronenberg, though. Uh, Videodrome, no no order here. Videodrome, Spider. Uh... <laughs> Videodrome, Spider. I was going to say something really fucking stupid. I was I was going to say the, and I can't even think of the name of the movie. It's Jeremy Irons. Dead Ringers? Dead Ringers. Um, Dead Ringers. Yeah. No, no, the other one. Oh, the and other Butterfly? Jeremy Irons one. And yeah. Butterfly, yeah. That that one really, every time I go back and I revisit it, it shakes me up more than any other non-horror Cronenberg movie, that it's just so fucking eloquent, it's so beautiful, I don't understand how it's not an, an, an Academy Award-winning sweeping piece, especially Jeremy Irons' performance, but it's, that's, I don't know, I don't think that's my answer. Spider, Videodrome... Now that somebody said Dead Ringers, that's what I'm thinking about. But <laughs> it might it might actually be The Brood as well because I I I I I still have a trouble watching the movie. That it is so uncomfortable. I find it upsetting. I think that makes it almost a perfect film. That I've seen it well over ten times in my life, and I still and I love it. I think it's a great movie, and that's just that speaks to how strong it is for me. So I, I'm gonna go with The Brood. Yeah, Videodrome, Spider, and the uh, and Brood, James. <laughs> last but not least, James. You're not last. I'm last. <laughs> what, 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 oh, I need to about me again. He's calling no, Linus least is what he's saying. <laughs> no, no. Actually, I need to get a quote off here a sec. Why don't you? Leastness. Least. Linus. Leastness. 
Your middle name, Linus Leastness. All right, shall I go then while while you check your emails? Linus Leastness sounds like a character from a uh, Sylvester Stallone screenplay. He likes his illiterate names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or a Mar- it helps them understand the character. <laughs> or a Marvel superhero. Uh, Linus like, Leastness, uh, get underneath the glass table. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, all right, for me, um, yeah, I'm going Dead Ringers. Oh shit, or am I? Well, if they if, <laughs> if if they're in if they're in no order, then Dead Ringers, Videodrome, The Brood. If they're in an order, then Videodrome, Dead Ringers, The Brood. There you go. I seem to be the only one that hasn't seen The Brood. I guess I've got to get on that. That's you guys are the horror body horror aficionados. I'm just like. Uh, it's got Oliver Reed though, you know. Uh, you got you got that to look forward to. Honestly, just it's, go into it like know. as if you were going to watch a drama. Yeah, that that's going to make it a lot better for you. The horror stuff isn't so much. You, what you like possession, don't you? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oliver Reed is such a. <laughs> I love him. I I find him so endearing. He might be my favorite abusive alcoholic. <laughs> That wonderful interview with Shelly Winters pouring a glass of water yeah. was so satisfying. Sorry, a tangent, tangent, tangent. Um, best free, no particular order. Um, I think Videodrome is probably at the top. Uh, Crash really didn't fucking like that film. I was really? Far too. Have young. you read the book? Who's the book by? Ballard, JG Ballard. I haven't read the book. It's fucking great. It's better than the film, and the I'll film's the very fucking good. And I'm I'm not confusing it with. The crash that won Best Picture of the Oscars. I am oh, talking Jesus about Jesus Christ. Cronenberg's no. crash. Like, like, our audience doesn't know about the crash that won Best Picture. Okay. Oh, <laughs> they have no idea. What hey the guys, I think I'm going to give you guys some tickets to Hot Take City because I actually like that crash too. Oh. <laughs> crash too? Is it a sequel? Like it is completely <laughs> different. It's right up there. It's right up there with Best of the Best Two as a sequel that completely veers from where the first one was all about. First one of best of the best in case listeners are, are not, was really about like, hey, man, you know, let the better man win and all that. And part two is just about like, it's just kill everybody. I'd also say the fly. No one has really been flying the flag for the fly. That's that's gateway um, Cronenberg. It I is, think. but it's a very good film. Yeah. yeah. Especially the- if you want to be more horror oriented, you would show mm-hmm. somebody the fly. But it is it's not a dinner date movie <laughs> unless your date's like into puke porn. And then it's perfect. <laughs> and if you haven't had dinner yet. Yeah. Uh, I'd also say um, Naked Lunch. Naked oh. Lunch is such oh, a... Oh, yeah, excellent, yeah. I mean, um, the words of William S. Burroughs have been in my mind a lot, um, sort of this collaboration with Laurie Anderson. That'll tie into the shameful plug of the CD-ROM piece that we'll talk about again. But uh, what is it? Language is a virus from outer space. It's better to hear your name than see your face. Oh, just an amazing writer. Maybe like Naked Lunch might be at the top for me. I love the um, the typewriter Beetle. I think mm. that's such a wonderful prop. And, yeah, oh. and Peter Weller is just divine in that film. I mean that it, it was it was something I think he was made to do. Mm. He, he his his absolute that love and weird obsession. Mm. Yeah, mm. I mean, and I I don't I don't mind RoboCop three that much. Dust Devil's not that bad, but it's it's no Peter Weller. Dust Devil. A lot of the under Robert John Burke. I was the same guy. All right. Yep. Moments of you know, suggested homo... Well, no, not suggested, but very clear homoeroticism in Naked Lunch. I need to watch this film again and again and again. I've only seen it once. I did scratch my head a few times. I only scratched that part of my body. Mm-hmm. was the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Head of what? Oh, no. <laughs> you can cut this. <laughs>
Well, that that's my <laughs> that's my top three is kind of Videodrome, Naked Lunch, and The Fly. Maybe I forget that Naked Lunch is a David Cronenberg movie. I, it really leaves my mind. I didn't know M, was, M. Butterfly was a that film was so panned. Still, I didn't know that was a Cronenberg M. Butterfly. The whole Pacini, from my perspective, like Pacini esque film. Yeah, there's another one. He's, on the he's been all over the place. What do you you guys think of uh, Cronenberg's post existence filmography? I, I personally, it's some of my favorite work from David Cronenberg. I think A History of Violence is beautiful. I think Eastern Promise is fantastic. I'm really, really excited that the whole Eastern Promise sequel is not happening. That's not, no, we don't need that. It's fine as it is. Mm. It speaks as its own. Um, there's the graphic novel that that is also available oh. that I think, you know, if you wanted to get deeper into it, you already have that. But the idea of a sequel or the character, unless Cronenberg was doing it, but that doesn't seem like something... After 50 years in the business, I don't think he's going to do... He's not a sequel guy. Uh, but I, I, I love them both. I, it's, I think Viggo Mortensen is imperative to his his post-body horror-ish era of work, but they, they just complement each other and work wonderfully. And then I think Spider is, is one of the greatest movies ever made. The Patrick McGraw novel is also... Uh, I, they get, they go hand in hand. I I some points wish I hadn't read the book, and I did a whole fucking episode doing the back and forth between the two of them. But the book gives you the perception of Spider and lets you know pretty much what's going on in the movie. And I think the film is almost uh, beyond exquisite in the nature of of forcing you into the delusions of the character. And I don't want to give too much away for anybody that hasn't seen Spider, but. Uh, it, it that to me is almost a pinnacle of his work. I love Videodrome. I love what it stands for. I love, I don't know. It's it's just punk rock. It it it's so invocative and before its time. And it's years of loving that movie and watching so much prophesized and it come true. I just still can't help but think Spider is probably his best. In my my opinion, his best work because of. What the trip it takes you on, all of his films manipulate you and, and push you into a new realm or a new world, rather, that he has created, but Spider forces you into this this decrepit, rotting mind of someone that can't even recognize who they are or, or what their memories even are at that point. There's just something beautiful about that for me. How's about the, um, the two Robert Pattinson films and um, A Dangerous oh, Method? Shit. I completely, yeah, um, Maps to the Stars and then Cosmopolis. Cosmopolis is a really, really interesting movie. I haven't seen it since it came out. I, I, I had a DVD of it before it went out of print. Cosmopolis is um, based on a Don DeLillo novel, I believe, and I've, I've not had a chance to read that. But the movie itself is almost entirely set inside a, a limousine with Robert Pattinson and this back and forth between him and, and random characters. Uh, from what I remember, I, I deeply liked it. Maps to the Stars, I, I, again, haven't seen it since it came out. That one was upsetting. That was a shocking kind of, uh, what's the term now? Triggering. It was a triggering kind of movie of each, each step forward you took was just another below the belt kind of hit of Cronenberg really... I, I just kind of giving it to not just I wouldn't say the the film industry, but the whole L.A. lifestyle. The whole I I moved to California. I'm I'm in the I don't I don't want to like pick names, but I don't know like the Leonardo DiCaprio rich and famous dating twenty five year olds lifestyle that sort of thing. Like him giving the finger to it. Fuck you. I'm out here in Toronto keeping my own thing. Um, 
really weird stuff as as david lynch would say mm-hmm. i i just haven't seen them since they fucking came out i did really i feel i like maps to the stars a lot more than cosmopolis though uh ef what do you reckon um what was the question again <laughs> no because you started yeah. asking how do i feel about his post existence work and now yeah. but i don't know if you're asking me about that or if you're asking what i feel about cosmopolis or well i was kind of including all of that in uh in the same question originally but then when i asked that question initially i forgot that a history of violence and eastern promises were post existence so i I meant more so the uh um cosmopolis maps of the stars and a dangerous method but but fuck it like tell me what i forgot about a dangerous method too that was great fucking kira knightley spanking all that weird shit sigmund freud yeah that was cool uh i really like the 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 not Ash from Alien Android playing. He didn't play Scofenauer, did he? No, no he, he played, played Young. young. He was young. Yeah. It was. It's in a way. It's it's sort of. I mean, it isn't my favorite period, but it it, it but at the same time, it is. And I, okay, um, this is me on bourbon. But uh, basically, what I love about his work. Okay, short story. It's it's great. His stuff is just as good. The stuff post existence is just as good as the rest of his uh, his previous work. What I really like about that work is I think what some people didn't like, it's that he wasn't working in, uh, and again, I know Harry doesn't like the term, but like we'll just use it, it's like body horror, because it definitely cemented the fact that this guy was a genuinely, is a genuinely great filmmaker. You can give him any material, and he's just a very good filmmaker. He can interpret that material through his filter, and it'll come out uh, great. Um, in the case of Spider, I remember like watching Spider and it's tough to say, to pick like, a, you know, what's his best work. Cause I almost feel like all of them are his best work, but like Spider, right. There's a great example of like, it's, it's what on paper would be, um, considered Oscar bait, but instead in his hands, it is really to me what felt like one of the most realistic again, feeling, cause I thankfully have no experience with mental illness, but it felt very real the way he presented that and 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 you know it's uh and then he makes uh, a history of violence which i i haven't read the source material but it seems very just like cool genre stuff but again going through his filter it becomes kind of something more than that um eastern promises again he's like you can make a great crime movie doesn't have to do anything with you know uh tendrils or whatever stuff coming out of people's bodies you know um Cosmopolis, I, I haven't read the book. I When I watched that movie, I was in a particularly apocalyptic frame of mind. <laughs> it was 2012. And that really hit me hard. Um, just as far as like uh, how I was looking at the world, uh, particularly with just the uh, corporate point of view to, uh, to the rest of society. Um, and A Dangerous Method is probably, to me, it felt like the most Oscar Beatty. But again, it's just really well made. Um, anyway, I'm just rambling to say that like it didn't change. His work remained high quality, even post-existence. Uh, yeah, his voice didn't change despite the lack of stuff being inserted into people's guts. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. There you go. You, you said in I two seconds what took me two minutes. <laughs> I think I'm maybe the only one that didn't like Maps to the Stars. Maybe I'll just leave. <laughs> well, again, I try to find something to agree with other people. Uh, and, and I will say I did not like 
the digital fire effect in Maps yeah, to the Stars. Just about that to was say the that. part that yeah, goes like, yeah. I, I'm sorry, bro. I can't, I can't uh, ride with you on this. That's just, but what? Look, you. If anything, it just made me more angry at, at Hollywood not giving them enough money to give them proper effects. I'm sorry. What were you saying? What year was that movie? 2014, well, I want to say. Yeah, it'd yeah, be a, yeah. I, yeah. I guess digital fire. I mean, it's always a bit ropey. There's a bit in Banshees of Inisherin, which is like, which is why I gave it four and a half on Letterbox rather than a five because there's a bit of digital fire and it looks shit. The rest of the so film picky. looks great. <laughs> so picky. For fuck's sake, can you just set a house on fire, you cheap cunts? <laughs> One Cronenberg film that we haven't mentioned is Fast Company, oh. which I actually really, really like. And it's it's another one of those movies you don't really recognize as a David Cronenberg movie because it's about stock racing. It's about uh, Canadian race car drivers. But he, damn if he didn't make the greatest fucking movie about racing that th- there is. And that's that's one of the things I, like David – like uh, Friedkin, I think, could do it. Like if you gave Friedkin a style and said, I want you to make a movie like Terrence Malick. He'll go out there and he can do a pretty great job uh, copying, kind of biting that person's style. Cronenberg, on the other hand, just subjects. I don't think it matters. You could give him uh, make a movie about manufacturing batteries, and he's going to come up with two hours of the weirdest shit you've never thought about in your life, but all of it's uh, equivocably thought-provoking and, and deeper than any first watch can take. I mean, I've been a fan of Videodrome since I... Uh, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, wanting to see weirder stuff moving forward as a horror fan. And I, I to this day, I mean, it's it's been, that's, that's three decades that I have watched this movie well over 20 times, and each and every viewing is completely different to me. And when we're, what we're dealing with uh, the subject matter, um, crimes of the future, I don't know if I'll ever see it enough. I don't know if I'll ever understand it enough that I, I'd seen it once when it came out and then I, I watched it last night before we did this and it's still resonating. I think more than anything else, just the, not so much confusion, but the, the world he makes. And I I almost like connecting the worlds that I, I feel he's made a map to, I don't know, the, the demise of society. He clearly has an idea, but when you follow Videodrome to Existence and then adding this in, there's, I mean, I guess you could even put shivers in if you wanted to. And the original, it's not so much the original, but Crimes of the Future, his student film, all of these things have this massive common theme, this thread that stretches entirely to the end of it. And Crimes of the Future, even if it was his last film, I think is monumental, that it speaks the volume of his entire history of film. And um, speaking of the, the short, it's not a short film, but his student film, Crimes of the Future, there's a bit of relation, which I think is weirder. We'll talk about that with Infinity Pool, because there's a lot of stuff from David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future, I think, 77, that connects, no, it's way before that, connects to Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, that he he's using a little bit of his dad in that film, and that's cool, it works, but it uh, I'm sure some of our audience is, uh, is following us or is... A patron? I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say. I'm sure some of our audience is subscribed. Is I'm sure some of our audience subscribes to our Patreon, and you may have heard my thoughts on Infinity Pool already, but we'll get there when we get there. Okay then, first movie of the night, Crimes of the Future. As a human species adapts to a synthetic environment, the body undergoes new transformations and mutations. Accompanied by his partner, Celebrity performance artist Saul Tensor 
showcases the metamorphosis of his organs. Meanwhile, a mysterious group tries to use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. Yeah, that sums it up. That's that's a lot better than going in blind, I'd say, because it's when I saw this film, I I I had wanted nothing. I refused to read reviews. Uh, Alexander Nash, our missing host, he couldn't be here for this episode. He had sent me a message about it, and I just replied, "Fuck off, cunt!" You know, don't I don't want to know a fucking word about this movie. And when I sat down, I I immersed myself in it, and I I wait. I didn't I didn't get to see it theatrically. I saw it on Hulu, where it's still available in the United States, and. Uh, I didn't know what the fuck I'd seen. I I was I was taken aback even for David Cronenberg as as somebody that thinks of themselves as I mean I would daringly say top five at least top three direct, favorite directors of all time. Cronenberg is going to be on the top three list. I I really relish his work. It means a lot to me. I thought I had an understanding of him, and I was like, the fuck is this? What is this? They're eating weird plastic, and I I I just didn't get it. And it 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 was one of those things that I've set, and I've never I've never wanted to watch it again, and not not that I never not wanted to see it again. I wanted to give it time. I wanted to give a reason for me to see it again. Because I have a fucking podcast and figured at some point there there might be a reason for that to happen. And after about a year, it, it's finally taken hold and rewatching it again, I think, was even better. I, I, I don't know if it was the mindset I was in when I first saw the film or that, I don't know, maybe not enough had happened politically or in the United States for me to get it. But in the last year from then to now, I, I don't know, it, it just... it it washes over you at the the finale of this movie and it, it kind of all fits together sort of, but it's, it's just this weird immersive world that you want more of. I think a lot of it's budgetary uh, problems with this movie, at least if, had, if there was more money that could have been thrown at it, we could have maybe gotten deeper into this world, but it, it's just this, fog it it's 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 almost like a drunken stupor you walk into this world you don't understand anything and you follow through this movie till finally at the end it's unveiled which is how a fucking story is told it's it's pretty proper and precise with its mannerisms and what it tells you at the end but when you read something like what Linus just read it makes a, a sudden sense to this weird world that I wanted to walk into completely blind and I I almost prefer it now I wish I didn't know anything about the movie, and I've tried to. I didn't go read IMDb facts this time, so I won't recant any of them on the show. But uh, I, I just I can't help but feel everything is already in your head with this movie. If, if, if there's nothing you can read, there's no facts, there's no making of. It's all there, but maybe it takes more than one or two watches to get there. I, th- I certainly think this is a complete universe, and there's there's a lot therein to explore. Um, EF, I know uh, that you mentioned on Trick or Treat Radio this was your favorite film of last year. Why is that? Just because it felt so different, but different, but at the same time uh, fascinating because it could be different and boring. You know, it was just just, just fascinating. There's so much. It felt so dense. <laughs> what a Skinner Marink is the greatest movie he ever made. What are you talking about? That's a, <laughs> we don't mention Skinner. My first time viewing was, I actually, I felt it worked. It worked on, on a surface level. Like there's that first viewing. I didn't know anything about it going in. And I went in just going, okay, the new Cronenberg movie. Let's check this out. And I just felt 
overwhelmed with this universe, but I still on a surface level understood what was going on. And I really, really liked it. And it, it all but guaranteed before the end credits, like I'm watching this again, you know, in the very next week I watched it again. And this time I got even more out of it. I was like, okay, now I could actually look into the details and not just the basic plot, which is this, this world that we're in, which again, we're not told specifically what happened. We're just shown in images you know, for example, in the ver- one of the opening shots is this big uh, ship on its side in the ocean. Why is it there? Why did it end up like that? Who knows? It doesn't matter. Um, and and just the world that they live in, and you're just left to go. Okay, what happened? Is this is this the remnants of civilization from a, a major cas- catastrophe or cataclysmic event? You know, is it what we don't know, but we know enough to and and it works. It's not vague. It's just enough that you could draw your own conclusions and uh, they could be living on the last, uh, you know, habitable landmass on earth is habitable a word. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, uh, it doesn't feel like it <laughs> when I said it, when it came out of my lips, it was just like, you know, but uh, um, so there's that. But what I loved was that I didn't feel like, Okay, they're just make well, uh, going back to Skinnerink real quick. Skinnerink kind of felt like it's just throwing stuff at you and it's like, you figure it out. We don't even know. But in this case, it's like if you were to ask Cronenberg, he could probably tell you, okay, well this is what it is. But I'm only telling you enough that you could kind of, you know, kind of like connect your own dots with it, you know? Um so just that kind of stuff reward it, it rewards repeat viewings. Yeah, interestingly as well, I heard some reports of people asking Cronenberg is like is this what you're going for and he's like well no not really but that's that's perfect so yes yeah well <laughs> I, I actually remember talking about that on the uh, watch skip plus program when because they had it was there that they asked me like what was my favorite movie of 2022 and I said it was this and I said what well, you know again that first time watching it I'm just watching it and taking it uh, as is but then afterwards I watched interviews and someone asked Cronenberg like is this about uh, the transgender uh, uh, people and and he was like, it wasn't when I wrote it, but it's totally valid because when you get down to it, what I was coming from, where I was coming from was this the idea of like, what rights do the, uh, does the state or the government have in telling you what you can do with your body, how you can live your life? That's what he was originally coming from, like abortion, that kind of thing. But he said, that's totally valid. Uh, if you look at it as, a, you know, this... Uh, treatment on the transgender uh, community and watching it again and again and again, I want, you could make it about uh, not just transgender. You can make it about the LGBTQ community in general. Um, This uh, recent viewing, I watched it and I'm like, hell, you can make it about just becoming a vegan. You know, it's like, because, because you watch the the character of Saul. um, Again, I'm just completely going somewhere else with it. I think you asked me a simple question, and I'm like, no, let's just go on and talk about all this other stuff. Uh, but but Saul, throughout the film, he's coughing, he's clearing his throat, he has these issues, and as far as he's concerned, it's just because he's sick. You know, it's just he 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 wasn't as lucky as the rest of this community is in terms of uh, not being able to feel pain um, and not being able to get infected. Like the, a lot of people. Most of the people in this world. Well, he's got his own syndrome, though. I mean, a lot of people have lost the fe- the the ability to feel pain, but he's got that intensive, abnormal accelerated uh, evolution syndrome. Is uh, 
Yeah, so I mean, who, who knows how many people are affected by that is one of the things that we don't, like you were talking about how we go into this world, we don't know much of what we're presented to. We know he has that, and that's what has allowed Saul Tenzer to become a successful performance artist. There would be so many people ripping you off. You know, you can't be the only punk band in your area without everyone starting a punk band at the same time because it became fashionable. So if everyone could grow these organs... There would be thousands of knockoff artists, and we see in the world that there are similar performance pieces with, uh, I don't, it, it, mutilation seems like such a brutal, ugly term, because it's not so much mutilation, but at the same time it is, but it's art, it's, it's, uh, it, it's something deeper than, than an abrasive word like mutilation. Uh, well, modification, yeah, but 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 done in such a way that uh, that equates to mutilation because no one feels pain anymore and no one gets infections, so it's it's a kind of more carefree approach to that sort of thing. Well, uh, I also uh, can I interject? I was thinking, you know, the whole the what am I trying to say? The trying to everyone, most people in this film don't seem to experience pain, and I've been thinking about you know my own sort of experience with pain more recently you know we've had a pandemic which is a heightened um pre-existing medical conditions um i've had allegedly i've had gastritis and of linus knows really boring aspects of my medical my medical history diverticulitis my diet has had to completely i'm change. not his doctor he's not his do you're not my doctor but uh you've taken a look at the odd lump here and there but <laughs> um i love only, only for artistic purposes attorney lover but not doctor <laughs> i love the idea of there not being pain because guys if, if you've ever experienced gastritis or anything else like that i mean we're not talking about you know a, a scalpel in the uh, for me you know the, the viscera literal viscera that came from watching this film for me was very it was very intense because just to see, you know, sort of exposed organs and these weird formulation of organs that come out of Vigo. It was very intense for me. It was a very intense experience watching it. I can I can relate to that on a, a lot of levels, too. I mean, an African guy a few years ago stole my gallbladder, which, I mean, it was an African doctor that did the surgery, so he didn't, like, steal it, but it, it's I like how I say it a lot better. <laughs> And I've been challenged with a great deal of of gastronomical. That's not how you fucking say the word. Gastrointestinal. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Issues. Yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's almost um it it it's 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 sensual. It almost feels like a comfort of of knowing like nine nine times out of ten any food. It doesn't matter if I try to eat vegan or if I'm just eating meat like that. Uh, psychotic fucking philosopher that went on that all meat diet yeah you know whatever you try i'm i still i can't balance food very well and the the, the story we follow through and and at the end spoilers at this point everyone y'all uh <laughs> at the end of the film y'all's is y'all. everybody out there in radio land you find uh, a, a piece with this issue and what ef had brought up uh bring uh, the character of salt tenzer consistently and throughout the film he is in a massive amount of discomfort you're watching this character to a point that it almost becomes interruptive of the film that when he is just sitting somewhere and someone else is speaking he is congested and coughing you can't help but constantly almost like how Cronenberg directs you with with mental illness with the character of spider and spider in this film you can't help but feel it over encompassed and washing over with all of the 
pain that Saul feels, but he's somewhat agnostic to it, even more than just an artist that's very committed to their art. He seems to almost enjoy it. I mean, he he's obviously in, in discomfort, and we've moved to a point in human evolution where not everyone feels pain, but whatever he is feeling is some sort... It's something. We, we've gotten to a point, and this is following from Videodrome to Existence, in our culture, like the real world, we're, we're fascinated with Instagram and TikTok and these micro clips of people's lives that don't exist, that you see these fictional make-believe people on the internet that, yeah, they're, they're, they're real, they're making millions of dollars off these dumb little videos that they post, and it's become such a weird obsession that it's what culture is, and you look at Videodrome and you look at what's presented in that movie, it's just as bizarre and uncanny as, as this, this cultural obsession we have with, with the vapid nothingness now. Existence is pretty much the fucking same movie remade, but in the 90s, and Jude Law's in it. And then you move into something like this, it's almost the icing on the cake of this cataclysmic nothing that we feel as humans nothing, but I, I it, it seems almost like remorse, this this FOMO, fear of missing out, and, and just living your life vicariously through other people on the internet. We have no identities anymore, so what happens when you actually fully go numb? What what would happen if you can't feel at all? And we are in this dirty, weird world that just looks like where we're at now. And that's what really struck me with Crimes of the Future is we it looks like now, and that's going to be the future. We thought there were going to be flying cars, and there's just going to be cutting your own dick off for masturbation. That's the fucking future. It's going to be uh, everything's going to look dilapidated. I mean, it was filmed in Greece and and which is an appropriate location like like Greece having got the shit end of the stick in Europe after the financial crash. Um but but yeah, um the film's basically just like analyzing uh sort of dysfunctional way that people react to change by trying to Im impose order on it um well evolution is a good thing and i think a, a big statement with cronenberg is evolution itself yeah totally and um <laughs> just while i think of it picking up on ef's point about you know veganism like uh, 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 vegans get a lot of shit for like eating their like fake meats as like oh i don't know what's in it but i mean much like um the plastic eaters in this movie i mean it's uh well it's 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 an unnatural diet to live in harmony with an unnatural world um is it any worse than eating processed meat from factory farms would you say as a vegan that you you I mean I'm I'm asking Linus specifically because we have a vegan in the room, but do you feel especially with the political nature of of being a vegan that it's it it is is it's more than a cultural thing? I mean, because in this film, these people are changing the the world that we have produced so much plastic, so much trash, so much toxic waste. There's no way of getting away of it. So these people are trying to evolve to save the world. Almost, and I feel a lot of uh, that's a. I, I don't want to accuse it. I don't think it's a bad thing I'm accusing, but I feel a lot of vegans become vegans because of of meat crises, because of how animals are treated. There's so many different reasons, but in in the same effort, there is kind of a valiance between what these and they're in one essence of the film. They're called eco terrorists because they're trying to 
make people eat toxic waste, but the meaning behind that and the evolution is forward saving. And I think being a vegan and at its roots is, I think that's kind of the root of being a vegan rather is you, you kind of are saving the, the planet is the idea. Behind well, it. Um, it depends on how much drop dead I've listened to in any particular week before I answer this question. But, uh, but generally I've never ate that much meat anyway. And when I found out that uh, ham was made out of pigs, I thought it was fucking preposterous. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was veggie most of my life until and until a meat eater made me vegan by giving me a lecture about cheese whilst i was eating a block of fried cheese at a festival in the czech republic um so that might be the most english thing ever said on the show <laughs> that's it's so wallace and gromit jesus christ <laughs> wensleydale <laughs> <laughs> oh it was banging they call oh. it shizami smear and it's like a white cheese. It's, you know, they say the in... Americans are fat, but a block <laughs> oh, of man. fried cheese. <laughs> Don't fucking knock like it till you Texas. tried it. Well, so clearly I'm not vegan to save the world. I, I did it mostly out of disgust. You are a very <laughs> laid back vegan. You've let me cook cheese. Well, at least in, in, in the vain attempt of my question, there was an I ideology behind it. Because I do, I mean, I, I there are some really uh, militant, vegans as there there's with anything that are very very political about it and and especially with that draw comparison between the the echo terrorists for lack of better terms to call them in this film and and the real life uh counterpart just hypothetically i'm not saying it's a real life counterpart but uh altruistic very militant vegans i i i don't think they're out against people. I mean, I, I think in general the whole don't eat meat thing is very misconstrued in masculine American culture definitely because bacon and steak and eggs and all this shit's very, very important to being a man for some reason. But when you're looking at the Cronenberg film, there's it's present entirely, and it's almost annoying at one point that, uh, oh, geez, I can't think of his name, Mr. Underworld. Scott Speedman. Scott Speedman is yeah, Mr. Underworld triggered it in my mind. <laughs> He's eating these candy bars the entire movie, and you're like a good 40 minutes into the film of like, why the fuck is this guy eating candy? So, is he diabetic? What is this? What's going on? Is he getting his sugar up, or is he getting it down? I have no idea how diabetes works after I made the joke, but... He, he, you finally get this unveiled when another character eats it and he just fucking spazzes mm. out. And I should, I don't think you should say spazzes out anymore. I think that's an offensive term. Um, oh, fuck <laughs> it. We'll keep it in though. He spazzes out and he fucking dies. And he, it's not like 1912. Look where you good. They look really tasty. They, look quite nice. <laughs> yeah. they do. They look like the ultimate kind of like, like snack food that you're just going to eat as a six year old in the sun while your parents aren't watching you and it's just covered in sugar. But we don't have, and this was this way goes back to what EF had brought up at the beginning of the show. We we are brought into this world, and we don't have a lot of clarity of what's happened and how we've gotten into the world we've gotten into. And these little dominoes like fall throughout the film, and you're questioning constantly what's going on around you. And what makes it more complimentary to watch the second time around is you'll have this awareness of all these triggers that I didn't even realize. Again, spoilers, last night, how many people were in with the government? I've always wondered about the ending, and there are two assassinations in this film. Why did these assassinations happen? You, It fucking watched the movie again. It's all there. It's all present from the beginning, and a lot of it is just the interworking intricacies of Cronenberg's dialogue, that him as a writer is often overlooked for his direction or what is visible on screen, but his work as a director having this dialogue delivered the way it is everything is very 
mysterious. It's almost like a fucking Susie and the Banshees record in this movie that people speak in weird questions and riddles. And you watch it again, it's all present. And and one very underlooked thing when it comes to the plot of this movie is is Saul Tenzer is a very famous artist. He would be, I mean, I don't want to say Banksy, but that's a very well-known famous artist. People know who Banksy is. Everyone in the world knows who Saul Tenzer is. He's also an undercover agent for a new vice created by the world police. We don't know what it is. It's some sort of law enforcement that wants to learn about this terrorist cell. So he has been brought in somehow. We don't we don't know it's, why. It's, it's, it's just a government there. agency that wants to control human evolution. It's uh you know, you want to take it as an allegory for Yeah, they're they're like a eugenics department kind of. It's it's your government wanting to get rid of um Raid V Woe or it's um or it's crazy conservatives going on about trans people. Well, in the sense of the film, we don't get any acknowledgement that it just suddenly is a meeting with Saul Tenzer and this other character, and it's very play-like. It, it, it comes off as if it was almost written to be a piece for stage, that suddenly we insert this character, and then characters, you know, they just move back and forth so quickly. But these pieces come together, and it almost is more complimentary the second time it's, you see it. It's good as well that, um, well nothing about this film is cut and dry it's it's quite interesting the exchange between um the agent whose name i've not noted and the the guys at the registration agency um uh whippet and timlin yeah <laughs> um, and he shows him a lump he has on his abdomen and he says is this art because they're kind of enthralled to souls uh, Saul and uh, Caprice's performances and regard Saul as a great artist just because he involuntarily grows new organs in his body. Um, so, yeah, so it's not like uh, the people trying to restrict this activity are clear-cut, you know, just assholes trying to deny people their rights. It's, uh, you know... It's everything's like more sort of up to your own interpretation. Performance art. Um, I remember a conversation many years ago. Um, I think I said, um, if you want to be a performance artist, you essentially become invisible. But the performance art in this film kind of tackles all a be all of all the issues that are going on in this very strange world you know Cronenberg doesn't put all his cards on the table the one quote that stayed with me is everyone wants to be a performance artist these days and I just wish that was true in our own uh, well it kind of is if you take uh, if, if, if you take a sort of not a high art view of it I mean like everyone wants to be on social media posting pictures of their dinner <laughs> what is performance art you know I mentioned um, before we started, um, Marina Abramovich, Linus wasn't so familiar with her work, and I'm like gushing, oh. trying, trying to <laughs> gushing, more gushing, and I'm trying, you know, I'm excited, you know, she's Cru in cruising, cruising episodes finished. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm trying to explain, you know, how an artist. I don't know. It's the whole. It was the whole rejection of the gallery space, and it was utilizing your own body to be your work of art, to be your canvas. 
And yeah, you know, a lot of the performance art stuff goes into very dark, surreal, strange places. The history of performance art, which is only 40, maybe 50, 60 years. Um, work done in Vienna back in the 60s was like the equivalent of a Roman orgy. Um, Marina Abramovich, some of Andy Warhol's stuff. Yeah, I mean, I could, you know, I love performance art and I've always tried to incorporate some of that into my own work but what is performance art at the end of the day i think that question is asked in the movie though that there is is a great sequence where saul is discussing with his partner um whose name i just completely forgot the character's name caprice the the idea that when these new organs are found and discovered that somebody in this agency has to tattoo them and that's how they know where they are or what they are that they have a marking and he discusses how the tattoos kind of take over the organism and they they speak almost for the art itself and they take over what the art is and looking at what performance art and what what James is talking about and the actual art of performance art in contrast to what Linus is saying that's that's where the lines have completely been crossed that we have this tattoo on culture now and it's the equivalent of the organ tattoo of you just want likes you just want some sort of substance on social media it doesn't matter if people are listening to you or if they're following you you just want to see that you've accumulated some sort of uh it's it's like a currency almost but it doesn't buy you anything you can just show it off i got 7000 likes on this post isn't that awesome but it's like fucking oatmeal it's a picture of a dildo it's it, it's nothing that matters there's no substance to it and so much of that is even like the on screen i don't want to say violence but the um the surgery performances of just people in the street carving and cutting themselves, that's become the new flesh. That's become the new yeah, sex. Rather than getting a blowy in an alley, you go, you know, somebody sticks a shiv in your thigh. Um, further to your point you just made, I, I made a couple of notes like um, on that point. The character says the tattoo reshapes it and takes meaning away from the organ. Um, but then... Uh, the rebuttal to that from um, the government agent is uh, how can a tumorous growth be considered art? Um, where is the emotional shaping, the ph- philosophical understanding, which is basic to all art? Are these are these performances, are they art? EF, what you got? If the performances are art? Yeah. I... For me personally, no, but I am convinced by these characters that it is. I'm convinced, like, I, I don't uh, disagree or dispute Saul's or, or Caprice's stance that what they're doing is art. Like, they totally believe in it. So who am I to say that they're wrong if they believe in it? it in the end, it's it really comes down to what the artist believes. Because then, and to, to me, they're legit. They really do believe that. And then you have the um, the ear guy who uh, that one lady, I forgot her name, but basically she pretty much calls him out is like that ear guy is all flash and no substance. He's a poser. It's, he's a poser. That guy's just doing it. Oh, he's a better dancer than an artist. And I think that's the the um, what distinguishes them. So and I'm glad that Cronenberg put that in there because it's, it's almost like him answering the audience's question like, no, 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 no. They really do feel they're. They're coming from a pure place, whereas Ear Guy is just you know. Yeah, if they were, <laughs> I'm sorry. If they sorry, were black, ahead. 
if they were black metal bands, then Eagai is Satyricon and um, ten, uh, Tensor and Caprice are Dark Throne. Well, for me, I'm not as much of a music guy, so I was just going to say Eagai was the director of Mandy. And oh, you know, so just, shots fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor Panos oh, Cosmatos. I, I, I like Panos Cosmatos. I really. Oh no no no! Really. Hold on hold on. So here's where I come from. I don't dismiss Panos Cosmatos at all. Like I don't go like, who is he? I think he is a great visualist, but there is to me, for me, nothing past those visuals. It's just stuff that obviously to him is very strong. Uh, cool looking things he he can definitely create a feeling and a vibe but it is hard for me to take seriously anything beyond just that you know like oh well, he's talking about this and he's like really is he i just get out of the uh, that the 80s really did a number on him you know what i mean the 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 uh, the movies and the tv shows and the cartoons and the magazines and the books of the 80s did a number on him but like not necessarily like he has anything to say. It's why it took him like 10 years between movies and he still needed a co-writer to come up with yet another empty visual uh, extravaganza. I like Mandy, but again, if we're going uh, real quick, uh, uh, David Croner, uh, Brandon Cronenberg at least has something to say. Uh, I don't think Panos Cosmatos has much to say, except look how cool this is. But anyway, continue. I can't help but completely and and fully agree. And I I really 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 like Mandy. I really like Beyond the. Black I do Green, too. Yeah. I, I, they, they they lack so much substance, and I I find them. We'll talk about this with Brandon Cronenberg. I find them incredibly overtly vague. They look great. It looks really cool. If it had been a, a music video, I love what the movies are. But even Mandy itself, that. I've seen it a handful of times. I love the movie. I got the shirt. I really think it's a hip movie. I don't. I. I don't even really want to sit through it again though. When Joe Bob did it on his marathon, I fell asleep during that one because it's like, yeah, I watched Mandy. Unless I'm like, hi, I'm not gonna really have. But Harry, I think it's like you know how it is on the internet. It's like if you don't like something completely 100 percent and like the way other people like it, you hate it. And it's like, no, I'll watch yeah. Mandy again. I've shown it to people, you know? I really, it's great. Like, I, I, I'm going to watch whatever he yeah, does absolutely. next, too. I'm going to, I'll be in line. I'll go see it in the theaters, but it's it's not going to, like, I, I agree with Brandon Cronenberg. That's a great comparison because I'm not his biggest fan. And I, I did a whole Patreon special about him. And, like, the feedback was, wow, it sounds like you really hate Infinity Pool. I fucking mm. like the movie a whole lot, but it's I don't have the most fluency with what I want to say right, about right. it. So, you know, it's 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 an inconsistency with him as a director. But in a comparison to Panos Cosmatos, I mean, his dad did a lot of Tombstone. I don't know how much he did, but his father's a very, very well-known historic person in the business. And Panos seems like... A greatest hits of 80s directors like he's got some Carpenter he's got some Cronenberg he's got a little bit of everything for everybody there's some Jean Roland weird weird visuals but as a, a comprehensive piece I especially like Beyond the Black Rainbow yeah it looks fucking cool but what the fuck is this movie about man do you have a, do you have a statement um, so I'm gonna sort of simultaneously agree and disagree with you I, I, I think both movies are great just because because so little happens. Like I, I love the, the the lack of substance. It's wonderful. No, uh, no, and, and that's a completely that's totally fine. Like I, 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 again, for me, good times is good times. It's just they're different kinds of good times. I feel like crime, crimes of the future 
like as we're having right now, I can have conversations about what it means. I can have conversations and we could just go on for hours about what does this film mean? What is Cronenberg saying? Whereas uh, with uh, Panos Cosmato's work, and I guess we'll just get into uh, Brandon Cronenberg's work, it's more about we can get into conversations about how awesome he presents yeah. these events, yeah. you know? And again, good times is good times, but they're different kinds of good times. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah. I, well, I definitely agree on that point, and I, I think um, there's a lot of different things to dig into with crimes of the future. But even if you don't, there's something there. Um, whereas Panos, you know, like it's 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 just a. I mean, it, it's it's just a vibe, and um, and with uh, Brandon Cronenberg, there's something there. It's pretty clear what it is, I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, Crimes of the Future, I mean, um, we recently in a podcast episode discussed Angelo Badalamenti and some of the um, the scores he did for a lot of different films. I very briefly touched upon The City of Lost Children, the uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet film. It reminded me, um, the Crimes of the Future reminded me... To an extent of a film like that is where you've got to accept the, you've got to go along with the bit. You've got to accept this world because if you don't, you won't maybe get a lot out of it. You've got to, you've got, you, you're thrown in, you, you, you're, you're birthed into this yeah. very strange, dark, seedy, wacky, kooky, I, I, dark. I it's almost like vaudeville, though. Like when when the when the curtain drops, you're just dropped mm. into what's happening, and that's really how Crimes of the Future starts. And and EF had brought this up at the very beginning. The movie begins with this shipwreck and this child playing, and the mother yells, "Don't eat whatever you find." What a bizarre, weird way to start the movie. Like there's just this weird freak kid that's eating shit out of the fucking ocean. Like this is the world that Cronenberg drops us into. He doesn't care how you feel. He doesn't care what you feel. He knows by the end of this you're going to feel, but regardless, it's like it's like a sensory deprivation tank. You're completely interjected into something so unbeknownst to you. The mother's uh, description of uh, her son that she kills calls him a creature, a thing, uh, mm, a lizard, a thing my husband invented to torment me. Like it's really troubling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, all the little details in the world, all the sort of anachronistic elements like the old telephones and just everything looking like a fucking squat gig that I've played in like Leipzig or somewhere. <laughs> like, you know, it just, just adds up to this this weird sort of like no one gives a shit anymore kind of future. It's, 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 it's really like well painted and really immersive. I've been thinking a lot about the ending as well. You know, the look on... Um... Vigo's face is it meant to be is he dying is is it a state of rapture is no it... it's it's a state of acceptance what you gotta really listen to is the sound design in this sequence yeah the chair begins to almost uh purr it, it yeah it's just it's 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 happy it with the subtitles on because i always have subtitles on on my streaming services from my girlfriends over because uh she's spanish and um yeah, so it, it helps her to catch different accents. It helps her to catch her, all the different accents. Like if she you has do, some you text, are right. you do book. pick up on things I, in subtitles yeah, that do. But, but the final subtitle of the movie is "cheer purs." 
Well, what, what also can give it away, too, is there's another character that has one of these chairs, and the, the two technicians who, one of them, this is this is another interesting thing about the universe the movie has, has taken place in, names. One of the characters is just named Router, yep. and that is things that are technologically simple. Yeah, just these simple things to us. Like, yeah, I have a router. It's sitting right next to me getting my computer running that we've moved into this weird uh, cyber techno future punk culture where all of this is uh, created one weird monster where things are like there's no family names there's no pain we live in a weird techno society I already fucking said that but these two characters visit somebody else that has this chair and they're supposed to be working on it and we get to see the motions of the chair are similar to what is happening with Saul Tenzers that this the idea behind it is that we have have grown into a part of culture where our, our devices our computers it's kind of like Dune. There's something in Dune called a chair dog, and it's, you know, in the universe of Dune, uh, technology has been completely banned. So these people create and breed dogs that become giant chairs that nonstop massage you, but they're living actual creatures. And in the Crimes of the Future, we've got these almost organic, bizarre devices, very similar to things we've seen in Existence and Videodrome. They're, they're almost made out of us. It's uh, quite similar to... What Ripley and company find on the Nostromo, or fuck, um, the, God damn it, wherever the fuck they go in the first Alien movie, and they see all LV-2046. There we go, yeah, the, the good old H.R. Geiger designs. It's very organic, it's very frightening, it, it, it looks like we have kind of uh, just borrowing from the, the Dune universe, that things have become organic, that we've lost control of where our technology is. These... Uh, organic mechanics borrowing from Mad Max 426 or... not 2046 that's you a one Kai so... waifu movie fucking no, hell no, do, do you know Linus you're slipping recently oh, really, uh... I just like it when it's not me that fucks up on the show it's <laughs> it's good and relieving I that it's wanted to say as well else. you know it's so nice to see the practical I hope they're practical yes. the yeah. set pieces the, the chair so we can actually swallow <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, there are a few moments. Where... But these people, long story short, I'm going to cut you off real quick to just shoot can't. this out and finish. <laughs> they kill somebody and they assassinate somebody uh, in, in one of these chairs. And we get to see the, the, the movement and how this chair works. So it's it's designed and where we're at in culture is our technology, our computers, that they are a part of us. That your bed is a part of you. It, it, it connects into your synapses and your flesh and you work with it and it reads all your diagnostics as if you're a machine and this chair is shown in a previous sequence and from that character and how he is reacting in the chair before he's assassinated I guess I should have said spoilers before that but what I didn't say the fucking character's name nobody nobody cares at the end of the film when Tenzer is sitting in his unit and he finally eats that bit uh, the tear is joy it's an epiphany because all of his woes and troubles are gone and that's the purring of the chair I'm sorry that took 10 minutes to get out Jesus Christ <laughs> my bad no, no, well no. The, the the chair is fascinating because you almost Vigo almost becomes like a bird like he physically can't swallow and he literally has yeah. to try and that is for me that was really disturbing I've had my own um, problems with sort of even just swallowing after after a pandemic, you know. I keep going back to the pandemic. I keep that's I think that's that's a cloud on my uh, head at the minute. But you know the whole idea about health and you know we'll come into that in future podcasts as well about yeah, yeah. and and something about like uh, like 
the what are they call lifeware like uh the company life form where yeah what what they'll sell you these extravagant things to keep you sort of functioning um in a, in a in a state of numbness or in tense's case sort of constant discomfort when human bodies are trying to um adapt and evolve to uh to, to the situation that they find themselves in i never found ten, what what's happening to Saul Tenzer i i don't know if it's so much the chairs or his beds i think it's the syndrome that he has, that he constantly is having these surgeries committed and, and whatever new organs are in his body are just consistently What I got from it was like everyone to a degree is adapting to their environment. Um, the plastic eater guys are trying to kind of speed up this process by getting surgeries, which they then... I guess there's a lot of Dune comparisons because you could even take someone like Scott Speedman as as sort of the the Moadine yeah, character is, yeah. that that this is a yeah it's a jihad that they're starting that this is this is beyond a revolution they are uh, he says at some point there's a couple hundred in cells that we know about but all over the world we 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 don't have numbers there's thousands there's millions that have actively altered their genetics their body their their entirety to only feed off of this source. I mean, this is the the same sort of, uh, it's not the same message, but so much that is said in Videodrome, uh, death to Videodrome, long live the new flesh. This is the new flesh. It's beyond the new sex. This is evolution. Uh, there's, there's such a deeper point, I think, with what Cronenberg is stating beyond even humanity's uh, idea. I mean, from Americans to the English to people in, in China listening to this, everyone's ideologies and governments and, and the control runs so differently. Even beyond government, it's the acceptance of humans and evolution and what they are willing to believe in. And it's just fucking it's 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 organic itself. I mean, the movie feels like a disease. It's it's quite beautiful that way. Said in the movie, um, like um, uh, bodies are saying it's time for change. And these characters feed on our own industrial waste, and Brecken, the child that's killed in the in in the intro, is uh, he's the firstborn um, with uh, a plastic processing digestive system, the first naturally and natural human with surgically acquired um, characteristics that he's inherited. Have you ever wanted a snack on a bin? I mean, no, I haven't. <laughs> I wonder if any of you knew. Um, is it? Oh, there's a. It's kind of a. Blah, bit of a tangent, but there was a Frenchman called uh, Tarare. I think is the name T A R R A R E. I'm amazed he hasn't been turned to a Hollywood film. Apparently, this man, sort of pre Napoleonic era, he could eat. Oh, the yes, baby eater. Yes, know, yeah. yes, good <laughs> man, good man. He could apparently eat anything. And yeah, it's almost this idea of like, well, it's not too far out of a remit to actually you could eat plastic you could eat glass you could eat a, allegedly a baby I mean, how far <laughs> i mean like like microplastics in the human yeah, bloodstream exactly. are yeah. a thing i mean it's it's we, we're already yep. becoming what where this is is, yep. is turning and that's what i find uncanny with cronenberg mm. himself that it's he's done it his entire career and the original and i hate I, it's not the original he has another film called 
Crimes of the Future. And there are some things that are, are somewhat borrowed from the film, especially uh, the, the weird milky white froth that the kid spits up. And that's something that I think is neglected that we've discussed, is when the few few bits of Brecken living at the beginning of this film are shown, we see he he isn't like us, that he has this weird, quite mm. like the fly, foam that he spits all over whatever he's eating the the process of introducing ideas by Cronenberg is very early on in this film that it's it's mostly visually contained what you're going to learn and what you're going to see and upon revisiting the film I think it stands even stronger because you can pay more attention to the dialogue you can focus on what these characters are saying and there's so much that is just sensual, uh, sensual, just just uh, deviantly beautiful and sensual. This idea of body modification and and scarring yourself to feel anything in a culture that is so alone and lonely. It it it's. I I don't want to you know divulge too much into fucking politics and stuff, but God, I just can't help but but it makes me feel like I can relate. In a, in a culture where I can't relate to anything anymore, that I think the movie itself is almost uh, a comfort piece. And the next film we're going to talk about <laughs> pushes you away from relating and is about not ever being able to relate to anything I in just, general. I don't think I'm ready, really, to see organs just sort of, you know, again, we go back to Dharma. I keep, you know, it's been 10 minutes and James hasn't mentioned Dharma, the drama. Um, just not really. My, my mum has always been into med- a lot of medical stuff but i recently in the uk we've had very explicit um a e a and e um documentaries that have been so explicit and i just i'm i I struggle i struggle with the a lot of the imagery and i think in this film that's kind of what you know i thought this was a fantastic film and really interesting bit of a hard sell in a lot of respects for a lot of people but for me just those moments of you know the night the scalpel going in was too much I don't know, like, I, I, well, like, parts of it, like, I, the two of them in the chair, or, like, or, you know, or just Leah Sadu in the chair, like. <laughs> we'll come into it again, the, 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 sec, the, the sexual aspects of this whole. If that's what you're working with, then, you know, I, I'm I'm there for it, like, you know. <laughs> well, so am I, but it, it's, it's just, you, oh, it's, I mean, the CGI, I think the CGI. If worked. I can't feel anything else, then then stick it in me. Come on. <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. I don't know what to say after that. I'm, I need more coffee. <laughs> well, I kind of think that's that's really uh, a a sentiment from the film itself, though. That we we've gone, and I'm saying we as a collective, as, as the 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 fictional people living in this universe in the movie, we've gone so cold that this is the only sensuality that's left. But it's presented on screen with genuine sensuality mm. that I don't think anyone but David Cronenberg could show two people cutting themselves mm. and it, it be as erotic as it was presented. And even something like Videodrome with the pulsating vagina chest that is, is self-fisted by James Woods to retrieve a gun, it's, it's bizarrely comfortable. He manages to take and transcend what could be considered absolute deviant horror and turn it into something that is quite beautiful. And it it's, it's to me the this film, the end, especially watching Saul Tinzer cry in that moment of bliss, finally being able to eat. I felt there was something beautiful, and I I want it's something I want to experience, and that's. That's it's why it was my favorite film of 2022 because it made me it almost gave me hope in a very weird absent way that despite how 
decrepit and decadent and 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 blank the future may be there is still still some idea of hope and i i i think saul at the end of the movie kind of shows sentiment that these echo terrorists or whatever you want to call them that they're not wrong and in in my belief my translation of the film i'm on their side yeah that long live the new flesh we have to eat our own <laughs> filth that we caused you made your bed so sleep in it well you made your own bed and and everyone is involving evolving to, to to sleep in it more comfortably yet uh you know you have the the government agencies um uh, acting against it because they think that uh mankind is evolving away from the human path and can't be allowed to continue and you know that needs to be controlled like i said like it's the the way that people react to change is to try and control it and like but there is there is a lot of the this world that we don't see there's a lot that we don't know mm. and that's what i think that's probably what would lure me into watching to, to giving it more viewings it doesn't put all its cards on the table well that well, well that's for the better i think mm. yeah yeah no no i'm because, not disputing that yeah yeah because it because there's more need to repeat and investigate further if it was, you know. The, the theatre of Cronenberg works, so if I could just see, oh, I think I'd be in the front row if Cronenberg did Kafka, Metamorphosis, The Castle, The Trial. I, I'm going into, you know, wankish theatre. Okay. <laughs> every episode we seem Wank to mention... Well, <laughs> every episode we seem to mention theatre side as well, which is kind of, you know, my bread and butter. And um, yeah, I just, I have a lot of respect for Cronenberg. Is he one of my favorite directors? Maybe I need to stew on that a little bit, but he's he's up there. You know, films like this remind me of his um, brilliance, his cleverness, you know, the, 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 the disgusting way things, the, the oozing, the splooge, the, the, the way he gross out, you know, the, the, the splooge, the splooge, the fly is a wonderful, icky splooge, you know. <laughs> but his splooge would would mean nothing if it wasn't tied to um, the splooge I, I, needs meaning. Yes, there you go. There's the tagline for the episode: the splooge needs meaning. Sploogey woogey finky finky. <laughs> <laughs> so. so I probably should have said this at the beginning of the show, but what you have been listening to is a two-part episode, and this is the end of part one. Tune in next week to hear the stunning conclusion of our Crimes of the Future plus Infinity Pool double feature with special guest, writer, podcaster, and critic E.F. Contentment. Or, if you don't want to wait, you can join us in the graveyard and hear the entire episode completely uncensored exclusively on Patreon. All three hours available now for your listening displeasure. Just head to www.patreon slash deathbydvd. Or you can visit our website www.deathbydvd.com and head on over to the Patreon page. That's it. The show's over. Part one is done. Part two on the next episode. Until then, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Death 
by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. on top of the blue crystal sunshine mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building.